Welcome to the PokePress Digest Podcast, a Pokemon news magazine show. Here you'll find some of the best content offered by our site. For more, visit us at pokepress.blogspot.com. This episode has two segments. For the first, I interview the winner of a Super Smash Bros. Ultimate Tournament from this year's Anime Milwaukee. We talk about the game itself and why I chose Ganondorf for the event. If you'd like to know more about what I did at the convention, look for a link to a recap video in the episode description. The second segment is a discussion of the music of the 15th Pokemon movie, Kirin vs. The Sword of Justice. And from the podcast helps me compare Memories by Rola to It's All Inside of You by Jess Turner. Both performers have some interesting career trajectories, so it's a fun conversation. As usual, we also talk about the opening themes and score, and read a comment or two. Thanks. I'm here with Yokan, who is the winner of the Super Smash Brothers tournament at this year's event. And Yokan, we have a few questions. So first off there, uh, when did you get into Smash Brothers? How did that happen? Uh, I've been playing Smash for a very long time since I was a kid with my friends playing uh, Melee in his attic. But um, I never really started really getting into the game until like my sophomore year of high school when um, me and my friends would play Smash 4 on our like DSs in the hallway. Yeah, yeah. every so often it does come back there. And of course the newest version is Smash Ultimate, which is what this tournament used. Uh, what was kind of the basic structure of the tournament? How was it set up? Um, I think it was like a 130 person bracket somewhere around there and it was double elimination. Um, best of five for winners finals and on um, standard stage list uh, yeah yeah pretty much there I mean you even had I saw some folks using the piranha plant which just came out as DLC so uh, you mostly played as Ganondorf during this year's tournament uh, why don't you tell the folks at home about the uh, why you chose that character well uh, Ganondorf's been my boy since day one I started with Ganondorf and I've been true to him ever since um, and he's really fun in this game. He plays more like melee in this game. He's faster. His aerials are a lot faster. And uh, initially, when I started playing Ultimate, I wanted to drop him because he wasn't so good in the other games. But he seems to have potential in this game, so I just stuck with him. Uh, what were the finals like? Who, what, was your, uh, what was that matchup like? The finals were interesting. Finals and semifinals, I had to play... And Grand Finals, I had to play uh, all Pokemon trainers. I don't know why, they're pretty prevalent. I guess Pokemon trainers are pretty popular here. Um, and that matchup is interesting because it's like playing three different characters at once. But uh, regardless of the different characters, the person itself normally has a similar playstyle. So it doesn't matter if you can switch between like different Pokemon because you can still read similar habits. And so that's how I won, is I just studied my opponent. Um, got the advantage, won game one, kind of put him on tilt, and uh, took it from there. Very interesting matchup there, and I guess you got some good practice there. In addition to the uh, to the folks there, I also saw actually uh, there was some uh, like Pichu being played by a few character, uh, folks out there. I think I saw some Greninja, maybe even an Incineroar or two. Very well represented in this game. All right, well, what else are you doing at this year's convention? What are you doing at Anime Milwaukee 2019? Uh... I'm turning up, uh, going to a lot of panels, um, going to go to the rave tonight, hanging out with my friends, uh, and eating food. 
Yeah, there's some great food down here in downtown Milwaukee uh, where this uh, convention is. All right. Well, thank you very much. This has been Stephen Reich from Anime Milwaukee 2019. Hi, folks. Stephen here. I'm on the phone with Anne from PvP Podcast. And as you've probably guessed, this is the next in our series of discussions of the end themes of the Pokemon movies. This time we're up to movie 15, Kiram versus the Sword of Justice, or the Keldeo movie, as it is also known. And uh, the match up here on the Japanese side, we have Rola with Memories. And on the English side, we have It's All Inside of You by Jess Turner. Uh, before we start the actual musical portion of the discussion, uh, we'll do a quick little summary of the uh, the movies. So the basic plot of the Keldeo movie is that Keldeo is this uh, horse-like Pokemon that is trained to be part of the Swords of Justice with the, uh, the other swordsman Pokemon from the fifth generation. And um, it, while it's training, it really wants to battle uh, Kiram, which is this ice dragon Pokemon. And the other three really don't think it's up to it. But Keldeo goes in there, does it anyway, and uh, in the process, it sort of uh, runs away from that fight. The other swordsmen Pokemon get uh, frozen, and then uh, the Keldeo crosses path with Ash, Silen, and Iris. And uh, the movie sort of proceeds from there, and we'll be we'll be talking about that. Uh, so as far as how we experience this, I experienced this, I'm uh, pretty sure I saw it on Cartoon Network first, uh, although I, I did have the score ahead of time because I got that from Japan, and uh, watched the English version, and that's pretty much how I experienced it. And what's sort of your experience with this movie? It was really difficult for me to get a hold of this one. I actually didn't see it for a long time, but I eventually had to borrow a friend's DVD, the Japanese version. It took me even longer to catch up with it in English. So... Like, half of my memories are marred by it having been so difficult for me to get a, a legal copy of this to watch. And I was watching it on a laptop, kind of, so, like, not not the best viewing experience. And I sometimes wonder if that's tainted my appreciation uh, for this movie a little bit. It's not one of my favorites. Well, more on the, the movie overall later. Uh, I actually had sort of the opposite experience because I actually have the Australian Blu-ray that I imported, and that just Ooh. works just fine on most North American players. So I sort of saw it in the uh, opposite uh, quality setting, I guess you could say. <laughs> but we're here to talk about the music for these movies and the ending themes. So we divide this up into three phases. We sort of do a background on each side, and then we sort of talk about the songs themselves, and then we do a compare and contrast. Uh, each of these phases usually starts on the Japanese side. And uh, who exactly is this Rola person, and how'd she get into music? Well, <laughs> first of all, that's her, only her business name. She was born Sato Eri, Sato being the family name, Eri being her first name, and Rola eventually became her stage name. Um, she's got a very interesting history, um, very multicultural background. Her father is from Bangladesh, um, and Rola lived there until she was nine. Her mother is Japanese and Russian. And, and after her parents' divorce, she was raised by her Chinese stepmother. And presumably, her half-siblings are of Chinese descent as well. So she has a very international household. Growing up, she attended an American international school. And all of that implies to me that she can speak 
English or a foreign language or is at least very familiar with them, but I haven't found confirmation that she does speak English or Bengali or Chinese at all. So there's some mystery there. But it's really interesting that like she has all this history, but she's often described as being like this airheaded, typical, modern, shallow Japanese materialistic girl, like a kogyaru kind of type, and is very much uh, loved and mocked for that, you know, ditzy personality. And it could be affected because like it's a television persona, but it, it seems to be almost in contrast to this, you know, I've lived around the world, you know, you know, multicultural background, I've seen all types of people. But she's an interesting person. Uh, her job, she she's a model idol. And it's really classified as tarento, which means she's a TV personality, a longtime regular on a show called Warate Itomo. And I, that may not mean anything to anybody but me, but it's a very famous variety TV show in Japan. But most of her work um, comes from commercials and advertising. So it's actually kind of an anomaly that she is doing the single for this movie because she doesn't really have much of a music career. In fact, Memories was her first, her debut, and one of her only songs. Like, is definitely her most famous, I think. And Rhoda, I, I don't want to sound disparaging, but like she's basically famous for being a celebrity. Not in the sense like she has no talent or and her family's rich, but like, you know, except for this one single, you can't really classify her as a singer and, and she's acted, but you wouldn't call her an actor. And she's, she's funny, but she's not a comedian. She's kind of in that nebulous model TV personality side of the entertainment industry where it's hard to really point at a thing and be like, that's what Rola does. <laughs> Um, but nonetheless, she's been very successful and, and is mega famous. Um, she, she's gotten a lot of interest in the Keldeo movie when it was announced that she was doing the single just because of her star power. Um, and I, I guess to kind of liken it to a Western comparison, she's kind of viewed, I think, in the same way we would view a star like Kesha or Miley Cyrus, um, in that, like, she's had a rise and then a sort of fall. And, and you know, they're really famous. And, and but there's a lot of scandal and like ties to maybe possible criminal activity. And half the time, they're victims of the system that made them. It's It's Hard to explain her career without getting into the history of the entertainment industry in Japan after World War II and how some of the talent agencies are run like or possibly by members of the Yakuza and like like gang warfare type things. I, I don't think I have enough backup information to really comment on that in, in depth, but she kind of has a very, very famous but equally scandalous career and it's She's she's a very fascinating person, and like her being involved in this movie makes sense because she was so famous and, and still is, but she is not a singer in this sense. Like I just want to convey the fact that we're dealing with a very different type of artist and celebrity than we have in the past. <laughs> Any luck figuring out how this song arrived at this movie? I think it's definitely as many of the movies in the past have been, like, they contracted out, like, probably contacted um, Universal Music Group Japan. Um, like, I don't know if they even necessarily recruited her directly. They may have, but it sounds almost even more likely that they contacted Universal. 
looking for a new talent to do the theme song for their movie and thus kind of get the advertising out that way. What about the writing side? I had looked up some details on this and I saw some somewhat interesting names. You want to go into that? Oh, indeed. Yeah. So like I said, she was signed with Universal Group um, and the song was created from producers from there like Jeff Miyahara, Kanato Okajima, uh, Martin Anklius and, and Magnus K. And the, the name that's most important here is Jeff Miyahara. He's probably a name that you know, but you don't know you know. He's a, a music producer that grew up in Los Angeles. He's of um, Japanese and Korean descent and kind of got his break in the music industry after kind of traveling to Korea and meeting up with a lot of other um, Asian and Asian American artists who had not been able to really make a break in the United States, but were having a lot of great success overseas um, and started working with Korean producers and Japanese producers and eventually got into the career that way. He's not only worked in Asia, though, like he's worked on Boys to Men and all sorts of things. But if we're playing six degrees of Pokemon separation, he has uh, written and composed songs for Amuro Namie, who uh, did the 2000 Pokemon 2000 song Toi Moi. Um, he's done a lot of stuff for Crystal K, including um, producing One, which uh, we talked about a few movies ago. Um, so basically... If you're into music at all, especially K-pop or J-pop, he's worked on something you've heard of and, and has been especially active uh, since about 2002 until the present. Yeah, Six Degrees of Pokemon is uh, always one of my favorite things to uh, to play when I get a chance. <laughs> but uh, any other details about the song, production, writing, anything else you wanted to share? Um, One little trivia bit uh, – as I said, the Memories was Rola's debut solo, um, and it tracked at number 14 on the Oricon charts. Knowing some of the past artists we've covered, like that number is not so impressive, but I thought for her, like being basically a model with no real history as a singer and her first debut song, like that was a pretty good track record for her. Um, so I, I think as an advertising move, like it both got a lot of novelty for Pokemon being a, a slightly different move than they'd done in the past with their contracting out for ending themes, and, and probably also did a lot of good work for her in kind of trying to establish a new aspect of her career. Okay, well, let's uh, cover the English side then. So this side, uh, Jess Turner, it's all inside of you. Kind of the usual writing staff. Uh, we had uh, John Leffler and David Wolfert, who uh, you know worked in the fourth and fifth generations on most of the major songs there. As far as Jess herself, let's see, she's originally from New York, um, the state, but she spent a lot of her, her life around New York City. And uh, her musical background, she started with the piano and went on to the cello and as you might expect, uh, a lot of this information comes from an interview I was very fortunate to be able to do with her around the time. We'll put a little link uh, over to that so that you can get uh, a little bit of a broader picture there. Uh, but this is the point along a little bit with um, – I can see here – oh, Aaron Bowman. This is sort of the point where we get some folks who were familiar with Pokemon growing up as a fan who are, are finally uh, getting a chance to sort of work with the franchise a little bit. She was uh, largely, it seems, into the Pokemon cards and I guess somewhat into the anime as well. But she credits the Pokemon TCG, even not the game itself, but at least the cards, with helping her figure out how to organize things. <laughs> and uh, 
Yeah, that's kind of an interesting little tidbit. And she talks a little bit about how how cool it was uh, when she got to go to see the uh, the first Pokemon movie in theaters like that. Oh wow. Um, but as far as like her professional music career, once she became uh, an adult, um, she got involved in something called Pennywise Studio. And eventually that had her cross paths with David Wolfert, who was, uh, I guess maybe he did the bulk of the writing on this one, but I'm not 100% sure. And basically they got to talking to each other, and that's effectively how she wound up doing this song. Uh, as far as I know, I don't think she's done anything else Pokemon related. Um, one of the things she had worked on around that time in her regular music career was uh, a song called Shakespeare, which uh, she said was sort of a reference uh, when she went through college, she was an English major. Hmm. Kind of a, a bit interesting there. Um, she does have a website, although it doesn't look like it's been updated since like 2014. I think she has some YouTube videos that go up to like 2015. And I think now she might be associated with some sort of cosmetics uh, brand or something like that, some independent cosmetics thing or something like that. Hmm. Um, so unfortunately, she doesn't seem to have – she still seems to like music, but she doesn't uh, – I can't say too much that she's done too recently. Hmm. But yeah, so that's that's sort of the, the story behind It's All Inside of You. We'll obviously talk a little bit more about it as, as uh, this discussion goes on, but – Mostly on the production side, the folks you would expect there uh, for this era of the Pokemon anime. Mm-hmm. So with uh, that information covered, let's go ahead on to the uh, songs themselves. Let's see. So Rolla with Memories, uh, that ending song, it has uh, definitely kind of a, a lullaby quality to it. Is that about what you thought of the instrumentation there? Yeah, it very, very soft, very melodic. Yeah, just laid back and sweet. I, re I really love that uh, instrumentation. In fact, I love this song. More than the instrumentation, I found myself paying a lot more attention to her voice, though. And I kind of have a weird catch-22 about it. I'm kind of interested in your take on it, because she has a very interesting aspirated quality. And... There's some qualities to her singing that are the result of her not being a, a hardcore, I trained for years professional singer that give a certain like girl next door and kind of relatable personal flavor and emotion to the song, which I like and which is exactly what the idol business is for. Um, but the way the song is written, like th this song feels like it's meant to be sung by someone with a voice who knew how to use their vibrato, like th there are notes that are just meant to be held and, and like interesting melodic passages. So I like Rolla's style of singing suits her and I very much like it, but I, I almost feel like I'd love to hear uh, uh, somebody else cover this song. So I was kind of interested into how you perceived her voice or how, what you thought of that. Well, now that you've made me uh, sort of, uh, Rewind back a little bit. I did have some thoughts on the voice, but it sounds like you really have some thoughts on. Yeah, well, yeah, it just it stuck out so much more than than the instrumentation. Like I like it, but it's pretty standard fare for a lot of stuff composed and written by Mia Hara. So, like, I feel like I don't have much new to say about it. It's it's good. It's catchy. It's it's a pop ballad, but yeah, her voice I thought was something unique and different in both a good way and a bad way. Interesting. Well, I, I kind of felt it had, uh, going back to the lullaby part, it has sort of a, I guess, uh, motherly quality to it, um, which I think mm. sort of works and maybe sort of 
kind of doesn't. It seems almost like this was halfway in between, now that I think about it, sort of uh, a more standard vocal performance that you would get from a like a like a pop act uh, in terms of um the the vocal approach or whatever and a character song do you do you kind of get that is that what you're kind of going for there or that would be an interesting way to put it i hadn't character song hadn't occurred to me but yeah like when voice actors do character pieces and they don't necessarily have a ton of vocal training, but they are able to capture that character of the part they play really well. Like, there is definitely something about that to roll a style of singing. So, and again, I like it for what it conveys. Like, there, there is something very personable and her and relatable to the average Joe that is very present in idol style music in Japan. But again, Something about the way this song was written, it just feels like it was meant to be done in a way, in a certain way, by somebody who, you know, knows how to make the best of their vocal instrument. And I kind of want to hear that version of the song. So I guess you're you're waiting for that uh, Memories cover to, to come out someday. Yeah, Utada Hikaru, if you could get on that, like that would make everybody's life better, I think. Well, I think we might have described the the vocal quality as well as we can, uh, mm. since most of this song is in Japanese. There are a few English phrases, but it's mostly in Japanese. Mm. What exactly is it talking about? I did look up a translation, but uh, Anne, you can probably describe it a little bit more succinctly um, than uh, I can. <laughs> we'll try. Um, there's a lot of ideas about standing together, um, being taught or mentoring somebody, taking what they've learned and trying to like stand tall on your own, a bit of a sense of like, you know, separation, leaving that place where you had somebody to kind of teach you and then learning to be strong by yourself and then coming back together and being all the stronger for having learned to stand alone, um, which is loosely what's happening with Keldeo in this movie. For the Japanese lyrics, there, there was a lot of interesting little parts in the lyrics, like some, like the chorus has a, an interesting little onomatopoeia with hanare, banare, uh, like kind of separating. And there's a lot of little things, but succinct might not be the hope that you're going to get with me because I'm not really sure. It's not the most poetic thing, but there are a lot of interesting word choices, I guess, is what I'm trying to say. I suppose so. I, I did want to comment, you know, before I read the translation, uh, what obviously stuck out to me, as, as often does with these, are the, the few English lyrics. Mm. And uh, sort of the bye-bye part is, I don't know, that, maybe that's where I got the idea that this is sort of a, a there's a, a motherly aspect to it just because it, it seems aimed at uh, somewhat of a, a younger individual, which I don't know, maybe maybe Keldio would take that as kind of a little bit of an insult. I'm not <laughs> sure there, but... Yeah, and it, there's a little bit of confusion because there's times when it sounds like like the person singing is the one who is, say, the child and who has to go off and take the lessons with and, and you know, learn to stand alone and other times where it feels like they were the mentor. So I'm not sure if that's meant to like maybe encompass all of the swords of justice in a sense or convey maybe a friendship where they both give and take kind of. Like, they're both teaching each other. But yeah, for Keldeo, 
himself, <laughs> he w- he would not necessarily uh, appreciate the the sentiment. I don't think of somebody looking down on him. I suppose so. Any other parts of it that you think sort of call out to either events or characters or anything else about the movie? I mean, there's a lot of stuff about like things swinging in the breeze, and there's also a lot of shots in this movie about like the the swords of justice standing dramatically while wind blows by them and people are having very poignant thoughts and i think it's even the shot the movie closes on um there's a section in the second verse um where they're kind of like just realizing that people have the ability to be nice and i there's a, a section in the middle of the movie where Caldeo kind of goes through that it's like oh i can count on my friends to help me instead of you know, feeling like I have to do this alone and and yet being terrified to do anything at the same time. So, like, there's a lot of little little things that could apply, but other than, like, that specific of, like, sense of being mentored or mentoring somebody else and then having to leave and learn to stand by yourself, not much specific to the movie, I think. Yeah, so that that's kind of the usual, I think, Japanese paradigm we see there. yeah. But uh, if we switch over back to the English side, it's all inside of you. Not a completely dissimilar instrumentation, but um, mm, yeah, I wouldn't really call it a lullaby so much as sort of a, a ballad. Um, not those aren't exactly the same things necessarily. There's definitely more of a. I'm not sure if strolling is is sort of it's it's not a super fast song. Any theme songs usually aren't, but uh, there's a definite pace to it that is sort of slow and steady. Uh, does that that kind of make sense to you, Anne? It does. And actually, that first chunk of the song, like before the, the percussion and the guitar come in, there's something about it that really reminded me, like it sounded very classic Disney-like. Like the words from um, Disney's The Rescuers, that Someone's Waiting For You song, like came into my mind before the lyrics of this song did. Like there was something very reminiscent about kind of like that era of movie making and insert songs of the time, which was really nice and nostalgic. And then, you know, the percussion comes in and it gets a bit more, more of a modern feel. But yeah, like, I I just feel like with this movie, I like that they chose to go for something relatively soft and not high energy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The instrumentation is, um, it it never gets too bombastic or anything. And I think I kind of like that for uh, sort of the overall tone of the movie, and which does have its action scenes, of Mm -hmm. course, but, uh, and, and I think those are reasonably well placed. So I, I think it sort of covers that end of it. But uh, before we talk about really the lyrics and the message and stuff, I want to talk about uh, the lead-in to the the chorus. Um, I guess we do have to say some of the lyrics here, but, you know, <laughs> in the cold of night or your darkest hour, listen to your heart because you've got the power is, I believe, how it goes. And without saying too much about the words there, just sort of the – the rhythm and sort of the uh, the notes of that portion, I think, are that's one of the things that definitely stands out about the uh, the composition here. Would you agree? Yeah, I, I think it stood out a bit more to you than to me because I was a bit more taken by kind of the opening riff that got repeated later in the chorus itself: "Be brave, be strong, be honest, and with your friends beside you, you'll know what to do." I think it's just 
because that stuck out to be me as being really resonant with the theme of the movie and Keldeo's fear. But what's it? The pre-chorus that you're mentioning, like, was also a moment that stood out too. The song has a lot of nice little little parts to it. Yeah, yeah, I, I definitely um, like it for that. Let's let's talk about the lyrics then. Um, believing in yourself and and uh, using your friends. Well, using your friends isn't really the right way to put it. It's um, <laughs> being able to rely on your friends and the the sort of the advice they've given you is sort of the the overall thing here. It, it seems like, but it, it sort of says. Uh, I don't know. I'm, I'm trying to come up with something here that sort of explains the duality between, you know, being able to have faith in yourself, but also being able to take what you've learned and the advice you've been given from others. And I'm not quite able to sort of tie that knot there. Um, Anne, do you think you can do any better? Was that your impression? Um, that is my impression. I don't know if I can say it any better. I, I think looking at the second verse, the lyrics there is kind of the most poignant to me uh, about the movie, I think. Like, when you're all alone and you're feeling scared, like, you will survive. Um, and kind of, I think, where the friendship comes with it, kind of on the chorus, be strong, be honest, be true. And with your friends beside you, you'll know what to do. That, that idea that um, your strength has to come from you, but it's your friends giving you support that allows you to be your best individual self. In a way, it's kind of similar to the power of one and the power of us and those messages of like, one person can make all the difference, but every one person united together creates something unbreakable. So, like, I feel like this song is kind of working with both of those sympathies, like rely on your friends, support each other, and through that support, find your own strength and your own voice or something like that. Yeah, yeah. Like I said, that's always kind of a, a running trend throughout it in that there are, you know, each character of, I guess, significance in the Pokemon franchise has their moment where they have to sort of stand up for themselves and stuff like that. Mm -hmm. But it's only through sort of the, uh, the our interactions with other folks and them believing in us that we sort of learn to believe in ourselves, I guess, is... I, I, like I said, it's always something that the, the Pokemon music has always had to sort of deal with that duality, and this is another song that definitely goes into that area. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So I did want to talk about one other little aspect I noticed. Um, you may not have realized this if you were listening over like speakers and stuff, but if you listen really closely, if you put on headphones and stuff like that, there's a few parts of this that are very small or very softly spoken. I, I think there's one part where it says uh, get up and, and stuff like that as if the um, the listener is being encouraged to sort of oh. – or, or, or Keldeo is being encouraged to sort of uh, – that it needs to get out of its uh, cycle of fear and doubt mm -hmm. and sort of like that. But there are a couple little touches here or there of, of very soft things that you might miss if you're not listening through headphones or listening very closely – I, I kind of like that. It sounds like, Anne, it sounds like you might have, might have missed some of those and might need to go back and listen I, to it again or I something. I think I do. That sounds so cool. Like, what a nice touch. Yeah, so this is definitely one of those those Pokemon songs that uh, benefits from a very close listen. You will get more out of it that way. Mm -hmm. But um, do, you, do you feel like this song, like I said, going back to Keldeo, that it reflects uh, the journey of that character and sort of the moral of the story as reg in regards to that character? 
Yeah, I, I we're not talking about the plot of the movie so much, but I, I have problems with the plot of the movie. But the message of the movie and the theme of it is something that I I find very lovely, and I really feel like this song captures the journey that he goes on, and it, like you said, that duality of. Um, needing your friends and needing to rely on your friends, but then also needing to find your own courage and not rely on your friends, not let everybody fight your battles for you. And, and I think this song kind of finds a way to bridge that divide beautifully. Yeah, I, I'd agree with uh, the the vast majority of what you said there. So, <laughs> well, I, I think at this point we can kind of go on to part three, where we sort of compare and contrast, try to figure out which each song kind of does better. Um, I think as we often see, like the English one is is probably more focused on sort of the the main story thrust, the characters and and whatnot. Um, it isn't a, an exact retelling. It more or less focuses on sort of the the moral of uh, Keldio's mm. story there. Um, I, I'd say that's probably where the English one uh, definitely excels, and then some of the small touches there. What do you think the uh, the Japanese one does well? Well, this is kind of one time. I mean, generally speaking, the Japanese song being produced out of house is less directly tied to the movie, as you said. But it almost seems that they were given a task with a theme in mind. So it's usually a lot more metaphorically tied to what's going on in the movie, and usually hits the emotional high points. But in this one, there's a lot of similarities, I think, between the two in that they both seem to touch on similar themes and in a similar way. So it's kind of one of those... Like, we're not comparing apples to oranges this time. We're, we're comparing, like, oranges to tangerines. Like, it's a lot closer, I think. <laughs> yeah, they're not identical by any means, but these are certainly no, no, two, but... of the, two of the closer ones that we've uh, discussed here. Yeah, and they're both a bit softer and, you know, both sung by female singers in a kind of very caring way. And, yeah, like, again, both touching on similar ideas. So it's it's one of those closer to call, I think. Yeah, they they both uh, I think are headed in a similar direction. Uh, and do you have a preference for one or the other, or if I had to choose, and I do because I'm on this show, um, I would go with "It's All Inside of You." I think it's just a bit more. Well, it's a bit less vague, I think, and it, it feels like a little bit more deliberate in trying to get across that moral. Memories is very emotional and it definitely brings up a tone that is the same that I get from It's All Inside of You, but I think just having that very direct lyrical connection and ways that we can obviously see that it kind of mimics what Keldeo is experiencing and possibly other characters in the movie. Like, I just feel that that gives it that little bit of edge in a discussion about whether this is the best theme song for the ending of a movie. Yeah, my thoughts are kind of along the same lines, even though my background is somewhat different. I mean, but uh, I mean, technically speaking, yes, Anne, we can have ties here if you think it really is a tie. But I actually do think (laughs) there's enough separation in this, pardon the term, horse race, Mm. for me to say that I prefer it's all inside of you. Mm. Uh, Even if my Japanese skills were better, I think that would still be my my judgment there. Um, I think... Well, it may not be one of the all-time greats in that sort of first tier that I have in my mind, 
Um, it does well enough, and I think it, it's sort of, it's not super obvious or pandering or anything like that, to me at least, um, but I think it does sort of express very well mm. the sort of moral and thrust of the movie, and I think it does it better than Memories does. Yeah, I agree. Like Memories, not a horrible song, um, certainly at least uh, d- a decent one, mm. and I do like the instrumentation of Fair Bit there. But yeah. I, I do have to give uh, Jess Turner and um, the uh, It's All Inside of You sort of the win here, uh, if only by a few lengths. Yeah. And, you know, I kind of I love It's All Inside of You almost because we also have memories like this is one where I definitely wouldn't want to pick one or over the other because there are, like I said, Hard to explain, but like just little word choices and just little things she does with her voice that give an extra depth to memories, but because they are, again, so similar in a way about the, like they, it it makes me appreciate it's all inside of you just a little more. It's hard to explain, but I definitely feel like these two go as a pair. I wouldn't want to cut one out of my life. Hmm. Or, or I guess out of the movie. I feel like I appreciate the movie better because I have listened to both of these two. But, you know, one comes first in the credits sequence. <laughs> I suppose so. So you got value out of both of those. And I'd, I'd agree I with you on did, that yeah. one. Yeah, that's, that's always kind of the goal of this, uh, this series is that even if one song we might prefer on a playlist or think does better for the movie – um, we still can find value in both of those. So like I said, mm-hmm, neither mm-hmm. bad. I do have a slight preference for one of them. And it sounds like you're on kind of the same same wavelength there. Yeah, slight preference, but but both are very delightful songs. All right. Well, there's a bunch of other music to talk about with this one. Um, mm-hmm. Both both versions of the movies have their, their countries or their languages opening theme song there on the uh, Japanese side we have Be an Arrow which is another one of the uh, best wishes Japanese openings that I'm not as super familiar with I I had thought going into this that it was an alternate version of um, best wishes but I guess it is actually Be an Arrow is the uh, the opening for this one on Japan which I'm sure I would recognize if I heard it (laughs) Um, so Kind of that that maybe that Gen Five Japanese amnesia or something like that that I have, but <laughs> well, I feel like we're we're completely mirrored in that way because I have the same feelings about Rival Destinies. Like if I heard it, I would recognize it, but it's like I was less tuned in to a lot of the English opening themes at this time, so it's kind of living in that state of like, oh, I thought that maybe was a different title or something. <laughs> Well, uh, you know, I, I very much like uh, the version of Rival Destinies here. In, in both cases, of course, the opening sequence is on a train uh, with mm-hmm. uh, the, the three main characters of, of Black and White, uh, Ash, Iris, and uh, Silen. And, uh, you know, they're Pokemon who are kind of getting into a bit of mischief or mm-hmm. arguments or whatever while they're on the train and the song plays. So perhaps... Other than setting, maybe not the most memorable opening sequence in a Pokemon movie, but I think it serves its purpose. What about the the songs themselves? Any particular comments there? Um, I love Be an Arrow. And while only one version of the song makes an appearance here, like this is the one, Yajirushi Ninate, uh, where it had two versions. There was the bright, happy, peppy version um, that was used 
during the Best Wishes series. But when season two came around in the episode N arc, they get a, gave us a remixed version that was a lot darker and, and, you know, just a lot heavier, both in its imagery and its instrumentation and such. And I find like there is definitely a trend that went through the Unova region and black and white, um, both through the games and the anime and especially through their music where like everything has two sides. Like there are two sides to every issue. So like in the Blast movie, there were two different movies, two distinct movies and different scores for both of them. This one, we only get, you know, the one opening theme. It's not like they used both of them in this movie, but I, I liked that it was included over some of the other themes that could have been used just because I liked keeping that trend going of in every situation, there are two sides. Do you think, though, that this was the right version of, assuming that both of them had been recorded and were available, mm. do you think this was the correct version of Be an Arrow to use for this movie, though? For the opening sequence it was used for, yes. If it had been used at another point in the movie, I might have questioned that. But yeah, for the opening sequence, it, it fit. Because it, it's a much happier kind of mischiefy making people helping each other type of moment, so... I see. Well, yeah. Um, as far as the English side, there is one line. I have no idea if this was inserted intentionally because it's in in the uh, the TV version as well. But it's you know, standing tall, one mm. for all. Probably not quite the right notes there as usual with me. But <laughs> um, I did want to call off that last line. You know, the uh, the uh, Verizian, Tarakian, and Kobalian. Hope I said those close to right. Uh, <laughs> are known as the Musketeer Trio. And yeah. um, it, it, I'm not sure if, if that's a term Pokemon has ever used, but uh, one for all, of course, is one of those phrases closely associated with the uh, the Three Musketeers story. Um, not sure if that was intentional on like John and David's part when they were writing that song, but I think it kind of works well given the uh, the theme of this or the characters of this movie. And I kind of wanted to call that out. Any any thoughts, Anne? Oh, absolutely. That is interesting. I I do wonder when they were working on this um, for the anime series, if they had enough knowledge that far ahead that if, if that, those promos had been released or something. Would be interesting to know, but that that's yeah. about what I've got there. Like I said, I do like the intro sequence and that maybe not the most memorable, like I said, other than its setting. If this were in just another city somewhere, it might not be the most interesting, but having it on a train is kind of kind of neat. Mm-hmm. Well, let's talk about the the score then. That's sort of the other major piece of music we have to talk about here. So as you may recall from our discussion of the Victini movies, uh, they had some guest uh, composers in on those, a different one for each side of that uh, of that film, effectively. Uh, this time we're back to uh, Shinji Miyazaki, and this is the era, era where they're using the the Japanese score in the dub version as well. I do think uh, that I did... Like this a little more than his uh, the original stuff he composed for the uh, Zoroark movie. Uh, maybe having a movie off uh, gave him some time to come up with some <laughs> things. I, I guess I should couch this. Uh, you know, I don't know about Anne, but I'm definitely in the camp that uh, Shinji Miyazaki's score work for the movies is kind of it doesn't go off a cliff. It isn't ear piercing or anything, but it's less memorable after you know Movie Ten and Arasian and stuff like that. I yeah. I agree. <laughs> um, but I think this one is a little bit of an uptick there. 
Um, certainly, it's it's possible that having more battle-focused scenes than some of the, the other more recent movies, uh, having an extended battle sequence between uh, Keldio and Kiram uh, provides some more opportunities there to score the action a little bit more tightly than we've seen in other places. Mm-hmm. Um, do, you, do you think that was the case? It, it could have contributed to it. Like, I, I feel like there's... It being so action-based and somewhat generically action-based, that makes it sound bad. But I mean, like, with Arasion, like, there was action sequences and it took place in, like, a, a musical tower made of, like, bells and things. So an opportunity to really present a unique piece of music. I feel like the the location and the plot of the movie didn't lend itself to an obvious place to do something new and memorable. So I think that that worked against him a little bit. But there being like very strong action sequences, as you said, I think also gave him a chance to do some of what he does best. So yeah, like I said, I'm not going to say that that Shinji Miyazaki is uh, a terrible composer. He just some of his work is just not memorable. This one, unfortunately, I can't actually like recall anything from memory on here. Um <laughs> But um, I do recall that I do think that the music here is a, a bit of an uptick from some of uh, like the latter half of Gen 4 when he scored those movies. Yeah. All right. Well, we did get a, a comment, and uh, it is actually a little bit on the score there. Um, so we got uh, one of our regular contributors, uh, Ryu Taylor the Ferret. Uh, he says that uh, I prefer the English one, the ending theme. Uh, the music is that it's really bittersweet, and uh, let's see. And he sort of refers to this as the last, in his opinion, good Shinji Miyazaki Pokemon movie score. Hmm. He has some uh, harsher criticisms for some of the uh, later stuff he's done, like the <laughs> uh, the I Choose You score. He is not a particular fan of on the Japanese side. Um, and he remarks here, and uh, we'll be talking about this uh, next time around, but the uh, uh, the Japanese score is used for uh, The Power of Us, for the 21st movie that uh, came out uh, not uh, too long before when we recorded this, uh, mm. which is a little bit different, because usually for like the uh, X and Y and I Choose You, they've been using a unique English score for the vast majority of it. So that's going to be an interesting discussion next time, uh, just to sort of tease that a little bit. Uh, Anne, any thoughts on that comment there? Not anything in particular other than it's going to be interesting to try to research and see if if we can find any particular reasons for that. Um, but I, I definitely agree that um, Power of Us has a superior score to I Choose You, although... Though I, I wasn't nearly as critical, um, but... <laughs> well, I'm not sure that was the, totally the, the, the main thrust of his statement mm. there, but... Uh, yeah. Yeah, we'll go into detail uh, of that uh, during our next episode. Uh, but if you have comments on this movie or any of the other movies, past, present, future, whatever, when you're listening to this, feel free to give us a comment or drop us an email. Uh, if you're on Anne's Patreon, you can totally put a comment there. If you're on my YouTube channel, totally put a comment there. Or you can email me, pokepress at gmail.com. We love having listener feedback and being able to sort of weave that into these discussions. I think it helps us, um, you know, uh, just get a little more perspective of what's out there. Mm-hmm. And definitely, after all these movies, you can see how we have our likes and dislikes 
So it's always good to bring in some fresh ideas. But uh, as we sort of explained there, our next episode, uh, we're going to go a little bit out of order. Whenever a new movie comes out, we try to get that done relatively close to when it comes out on video. It's As we're recording this, uh, it's available digitally, but not on disc in the U.S. But anyway, our next episode is The Power of Us, or what, Everyone's Story is the sort of mm-hmm. the Japanese title there. Yep. So for Movie 21, on the Japanese side, we have... A song called Breath uh, by the band with a somewhat uh, interesting name of Then again, I guess on the English side, we had Manda slash Willa Ford. So I guess that maybe this is Jap- Japan's answer to that. I don't know. <laughs> um, but we'll see how the, the actual music uh, goes in, in that one. And then on the English <laughs> side, we have uh, same title as the movie, The Power of Us. And it's performed by Haven Pashal and Charity Gooden, which I wanted to mention that part uh, because I actually did a written interview with Charity not too long ago. And uh, that might be some good prep for our discussion if you oh. want to talk about that. Uh, should be another interesting discussion. We'll also be talking about the score and some other musical facets. Uh, but until then, Anne, thank you very much for being on. Oh, thanks for having me. All right, folks. Thanks. Thanks for listening to the PokePress Digest podcast. We'd appreciate if you rate or review us on your podcast app of choice. If you'd like to find more of our great content, visit our website at pokepress.blogspot.com. If you'd like to contact us, send an email to pokepress at gmail.com or follow at pokepress on Twitter. Okay, bonus segment time. Um, so I guess the first thing we want to talk about in this bonus segment, there is a short associated with this movie. If you buy the score to the movie, you'll notice that there are a number of songs there that are from the uh, a short uh, featuring the Pokemon Meloetta. Um, in particular, I, I believe there's this uh, song uh, by this Japanese girl group that is associated with this. And uh, what, what do you want to say about that? Yeah, Momo Iro Clover's that. Like, first of all, they're a fun girl group. Um, their style is called Dempa, and it is kind of when you think of really weird idol music and like highly electronic and like music that almost seems to not quite be in the same key, like it clashes in a funky way. That's usually Dempa. So it, it's kind of an acquired taste, but yeah, they are definitely pop Dempa, and they're beloved for their energy and amazing physical jumping skills. But yeah, Mite Mite Kochichi, um, it's not only a song used in the Meloetta short, it was the ending theme for a lot of the Best Wishes series. Um, and it's got some very iconic dance moves. And when the uh, Victini movie released, it actually was released with a big diagram. So you could learn how to do the dance along with Meloetta and the Momo Iro Clover Girls. Um, and then it I saw, like, I've never seen the entire short, but I did see some promo stuff, like a commercial or something from Japan when this movie aired, the Keldeo movie. And, like, the short aired and all the little kids in the theater who had been learning this song and practicing this song kind of got out of their seats and got to do the dance with Meloetta and this, you know, theater full of little children kind of dancing along to all of the instructions in the song. So... It was kind of a fun little moment, I think, in Pokemon fandom. Yeah, the the song, I I will agree with you on acquired taste. I think 
I don't absolutely hate it, but I I have to say I think I may have left it on the station a little longer than was warranted back in the day. <laughs> um, yeah, Dempa, Dempa is a deep dark hole, so you know if if Momo Iro Clover Z is like your only intro to it, you know you you're probably okay. <laughs> Yeah, as far as the short itself, now unfortunately the short, um, the shorts with like black and white and uh, X and Y, uh, I think those have only in English been made available via like the Pokemon TV app and stuff like that, and they're intermittent and stuff like that, so you don't always have access. So I, I, I seem to remember this being some sort of like uh, search uh, party type of uh, short where they were looking for something, but beyond that. Um, the plot, as I understand it, from, like, the bits I've seen, like, Meloetta was about to perform a recital, and then they, like, lost something. Like, there was some mischief going on, and, like, they lost something necessary for the festival, so then they all had to, like, go look for it and get the stuff back. And then when they did, like, Meloetta got to put on the full recital, and everybody danced and was happy. <laughs> yeah, now, if, if, my, if my knowledge is correct... Um, because of, I think, some sort of licensing stuff with Japanese music, anytime Meloetta sings in the dub, uh, they have to replace that uh, for, uh, like I said, contractual export reasons or whatever. Uh, oh, I think that, really? Yeah, I think so. And I actually, earlier this, uh, not too long ago, got to meet the uh, the English singing voice of Meloetta, Erica Schroeder, at uh, Wizard World's 2018 Madison so that was that was kind of interesting. And that's another reason I wanted to, to bring this short in here was to sort of talk, I guess, mention that. And I, I guess I'm patting myself on the back a little bit, but no, no, good job. Yeah, that's so so interesting. I'm actually looking up, trying to look up Meloetta's uh, Japanese voice actor to see if like it was a really famous name or something that warranted this contractual thing. So hang and on. I'm not sure side. either. I did have to. I did look up the name and put it in the video, but I don't remember it off the top of my head. But yeah, so interesting short, interesting uh, little Japanese song there. Maybe check it out the next time it comes around on Pokemon TV, which I guess happens every now and again. Hopefully they'll put out a collection on a digital or a DVD or something like that at some point. I really hope they do. If not, there is definitely YouTube footage from concerts and stuff where Momoiro performs it. And as I said, those girls have some high-energy performances, like it's worth a checkout. Like I said, acquired taste. Maybe you don't want to binge listen to this song, but you will not have a bad time watching them perform the song. I suppose. <laughs> okay, maybe you will, but... <laughs> Your mileage may vary. Yeah, yeah, maybe maybe don't trust Anne on everything. <laughs> All right, so uh, I guess the other thing we want to talk about here is the movie itself, and it's... Uh, I don't. I won't claim this is one of the greatest Pokemon movies ever, but it sounds like Anne, you have a lower opinion of this movie than I do. You want to go into that? Yeah, I feel like like there was some. There's a wonderful idea about this movie um, that I feel was better expressed in the songs than anything that actually happened in the movie. Like I just feel the pacing was very strange. I feel like. Some of the dialogue was like a lot of the stuff with the sacred swordsman was good, but a lot of other stuff, like I felt was just kind of weak and wimpy and generic. And it is kind of hard to judge that because, you know, when you're working with an English dub, like they translate it and, and kind of tried to deliver it in the spirit that which it was meant. So it's 
hard to necessarily judge word usage when you're dealing with foreign language translations. Um, but there were a lot of scenes as well that I felt like just existed to be cute. And that is unfortunately a theme through a couple of these next movies um, in this era of, of Pokemon history. And, and then there was like Ash's usage through the movie uh, that like by the end, he almost was just like resigned to his hero role. It was very strange. Like, so I, yeah, I have some structural complaints about the movie, but I very much like the idea that it was trying to get across. Yeah. But yeah, I don't know. Yeah, like you, you enjoyed it much better. So maybe, maybe your perspective is more valuable right now. <laughs> I'm not sure. I mean, I think my main criticism, like at least the first time watching it was that, you know, at the end of the battle, Keldeo doesn't win. It doesn't beat Kiram. It says, you know, I yield or whatever. And, well, would gee, could we have, not that this movie was the most awful thing I've ever seen or anything, but I guess could the movie have been shorter that way? But overall, I think in the repeated <laughs> watchings that I've done for this and other reasons, I can't really bring myself, I, I don't know that there really is a Pokemon movie I really hate out there. Um, there are definitely, this is not one I would put out as one of the best or anything like that but i don't know i i don't can't really say i dislike it all that much but maybe i don't really love it either i don't know i'll kind of agree with you that the musical like in theme songs maybe is is one of the better parts of this movie um so i guess that's where i stand on it not awful but um not definitely one of the the, the best of all time pokemon movies out of the 20 something so far yeah it, like, definitely not the most awful thing. Again, it gets across some very beautiful sentiments. It was kind of like this period in Pokemon movie that we're kind of in. I feel like the sort of A team, B team, where they're getting these movies out every single year is kind of where it starts to not be as successful as maybe it was in past years. Because I feel like, I don't know, some of the work is substandard. Like I feel like a, a second pass on this script or another year to develop it a little more could have made this movie amazing. Like I feel it was so close to being great, but the the failings of it just kind of sink it down to the bottom. It, it's hard to explain, but <laughs> oh, I I don't doubt that there could be some with some finessing and a little more time in the oven. This this could have been one of the the really great movies i think it has some, mm. some good characters in there but yeah we we, we kind of got we got it and maybe that sort of pattern you're talking about maybe that's eventually what led them to do the the reboot continuity that could be yeah just the chance to try something different yeah i, I totally need to sometime one of these days i need to get together with some sort of like trek vlogger and compare this pokemon movie reboot series to the kelvin timeline but <laughs> That's for another day. Yeah. Um, going back to Meloetta, I looked up that voice actress, and my goodness, I think I figured out why there's a rights issue, if you're interested. Oh, sure. Go ahead. Okay. So this is Megumi Nakajima um, voicing Meloetta, who is – her voice – is the voice bank of the Vocaloid Gumi. So her voice is under very specific contract. And her Vocaloid software, like, you know, people can use that to create many songs in a voice based off of how she sounds. So I can see where licensing her out as a Pokemon could be a very, like, full of legal 
issues. <laughs> yeah, maybe not worth the effort for every territory they need to get this movie or the series episodes that she's in uh, out. Right. Like, I, I can only imagine the legal headache 